0: But the basis of this series, and if you're here with us for the first time in this series, good news is we just started last week. I'll recap a couple of things. Uh, we are talking about the power of a praying church. And so in Matthew chapter 6 is where we have the what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, and it is a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. So last week we began this series on the question, why even pray? And uh, prayer is one of those things that so frustrates most Christians uh, because we've tried to pray and we've prayed about things that did not happen, did not come to pass, and we got frustrated with prayer and wondering why, you know, God seemed to answer this prayer but He wouldn't answer this one or He seems to answer everybody else's prayers but He doesn't necessarily answer my prayers. And so there was a lot of confusion about prayer and uh, we started off by kind of, you know, looking at what is a definition of prayer? Now, I know in this video they, they kind of gave a definition of it's kind of a conversation with God. Well, that's one aspect of prayer, but prayer is one of those things that's very hard to define. There's nowhere in the Scripture where Jesus defined prayer uh, to his disciples. Prayer is hard to define. It's kind of like the word grace. In Scripture, we, we talk a lot about God's grace But how do you define God's grace? Jesus never used the word grace, but he displayed God's grace through his actions and through his attitudes and the things that he did and did not do. Uh, Same way with prayer. Jesus never defined prayer to his disciples, but his disciples watched him pray. Prayer was very much a part of his life. The Bible tells us that he would begin the day with prayer. He would end the day with prayer. Sometimes he would withdraw during the day for times of prayer. And when he had a major decision to make, he would pray all night long. But there was something very unique about Jesus' prayer life. The disciples watched Jesus perform miracles, healings, and deliverances, and you know, casting out demons. But they never asked him the question, Lord, can you teach us how to do those things? But when it comes to prayer, it's the only recorded statement in Scripture of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them something. And Luke chapter 11, they ask him the question, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus gave a model of prayer, what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, as depicted in Luke 11 and here in Matthew uh, chapter 6. And so one of the things that we said about prayer is that prayer is not an equation. It's not my request plus God's answer equals prayer. Because otherwise, we reduce prayer to a to-do list for God, a kind of a grocery list. Lord, here's all my wants, needs, and desires. In Jesus' name, take care of those. But prayer is more of a process. It is a process in which God prepares our hearts to reflect His presence and His will here on earth. And so I just tried last week to take prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and say, here's some of some handles on prayers of what prayer looks like. And we said, you know, prayer unlocks God's promises. God's promises are based on God's, his name, his character, his presence. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We talked about the fact that prayer releases the power of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, Prayer unites the people of God. One of the most powerful things we can do. All of the pronouns in this prayer are plural because as we gather as a body of believers and we pray, there is there is just a, a something unique and special that begins to happen as the Spirit of God is pulling the body of Christ together and, and focusing our prayers on the things of, of God and His will and His desire. Prayer displays the presence of God. Um, through God's provisions and his pardon and and how God protects us. And and when Jesus says, and give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so these are aspects of prayer. So if I were to try to define prayer, and I I put this on the top of your outline, is that prayer, not necessarily a definition, but put some handles on it. First of all, prayer is is how we worship the Father and we declare his greatness. That's the way Jesus started the prayer. Rather than just coming to God and dumping off your grocery list, your to-do list, God, here's what I want done, how I want it done, and by the time frame in which I want it done, and I'll check later and make sure you've got that list completed for me. He says, no, let's let's just stop and take time and acknowledge our heavenly Father who he is, his name. So we'll talk next week about utilizing the names of God in your time alone with God and and how that begins to to, um, bolster your faith and your trust and your confidence in your heavenly father. It is an act of, of worship. But if I were to put handles on that, prayer is all about four things based on the model that Jesus gave us. It's about relationship, right? It's about the presence of God. It's about relationship. It's about releasing it's about releasing the power of God upon from heaven to earth. And we're going to talk about the necessity of prayer today and why that is so important. And it has everything to do with releasing the power of God from heaven to earth. It's also about um, reliance upon the provisions of God and to realign ourselves with the will of God. We're in uh, translations outside of the NIV, Jesus ended the prayer. Of by saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. And so it's about we aligning ourselves to God's kingdom and to his desires and his purposes for our lives as we live them out here on earth. So that kind of just is a brief overview of last week. Um, Today I want to talk about, and this is number two on your outline, it is through prayer that we release the Father's will and resources upon planet earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up as a child, uh, sometimes my mother would say things, and I didn't really understand why she wanted me to do certain things, so I'd start asking her questions, right, like all kids do. Well, why do I need to do that? And why should I do that? And I don't understand why I have to do that and why I can't do that. And finally, she would get so frustrated because she tried to answer, but I just kept asking more questions. she gets get so frustrated, she'd say, ultimately, like every parent has said, because I said so. Now that's real, that's not very motivating, okay? It's just really not very motivating uh, when, you know, your parent in frustration, because you really want to know, uh, maybe sometimes you don't, but as you get older, you really do want to know, especially in your teenage years, because you really want to know, why do I have this restriction? Why do I have this boundary? Why can't I go beyond this? And so you're asking your parents, and you understand, you want to go to that you know, that party, and they don't want to let you go, and you don't understand, nothing's going to happen there, and so, you know, finally, they get so frustrated, because I said so. That's why you can't go. And sometimes, um, this, is, this is kind of what the answer we've gotten all of our lives when it comes to prayer. You had a lot of questions about prayer. I had you submit me questions about prayer, and uh, I'm going to touch on every one of them throughout the course of this series And so it's like, well, if God is all-powerful and his will is ultimately going to be done anyways, then why pray? What's the purpose of it? What's behind it? I I don't get it. I don't understand After all, do my prayers really matter? Are they really necessary? Um, Does God really need my prayers or he just wants me to pray? And is God just trying to like fill up my time or is is there something beyond just, you know, a conversation with God? Can God's will on earth be frustrated? Here's a big one. Can I change god's will right can, can I change God's mind because there's a couple examples like Moses being one of them, it appeared as though he changed God's mind. I can assure you prayer is not about changing God's mind, okay? We'll get to that later, but in our frustration and the questions that we have, and you've probably asked those questions maybe to Sunday school teachers or know, a pastor or whatever, And, and so we have so many questions, and we can't seem to answer them all, and out of frustration, it's like, just pray because God said so. That's not much of a motivation. My goal for this message this morning is to motivate you to pray. I want you to understand the necessity of prayer, why God asks us to pray, and what it accomplishes. And for order for me to do that, I want to give you the 30,000 foot view today, one more time in this message, and then we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the model prayer that Jesus gave to us, Um, because I want you to see that um, it's not about just filling our time, but it has everything to do, prayer has everything to do with the unfolding of God's plan here on planet earth, and you are a part of that process, in fact. You are a co-laborer with Christ for that plan to begin to unfold. So I want to kind of stretch things out, and then we're going to kind of dive into a particular truth that I want you to take away today about the necessity of prayer. So in this 30,000-foot view, we're going to talk about uh, in the beginning, things happen, uh, in the beginning, and in the future... Certain things are going to happen according to the Word of God. And then you've got the space in between here and here. In other words, in the beginning, you have Genesis 1 through 3. And then uh, in the end, you've got Revelation 21 and 22. In between, you've got the whole rest of the entire Bible that's explaining about what God is doing in the meantime. And the life that you're living in this world, in the here and now, you are part of that meantime. And God has a calling upon your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want you to see why prayer is important. So let's uh, turn back to Genesis chapter 1 for a minute. There's a couple of things I want to point out uh, to you that will help us grasp uh, the 30,000-foot view and some, kind of connect some things together. So Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, the word God there is Elohim. It is plural, which means Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity of God. God spoke, he created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to focus on the word heaven, because when we see the word heaven, we only think in terms of God out there, way out there somewhere in heaven on his throne, galaxies away, wherever that might be. In the Jewish mindset, the word heaven had three references. For example, in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul says, uh, you know, God transported me to the third heaven. Why three heavens, right? So here's the deal. Um, The first heaven in the Jewish mindset refers to the atmosphere around us, the air that we breathe, you look out in the sky, and you know that we have the atmosphere that is around the earth. Once you move beyond that atmosphere, you move into, uh, you know, like the galaxies and the stars and the sun and the... Moon and all the other planets. That's the second heaven. The third heaven would be a reference to the very throne of God Himself, where God resides, where everything is in perfection, uh, where, you know, um, perfect environment, God's rule and dominion is there. And so when you go to the book of Revelation, chapters four and five, you get a glimpse of that third heaven as John is transported and he sees the very throne of God in this heaven that he is describing and what's going on there. So my question is, where is the first place we see God and humanity in a perfect environment together? The Garden of Eden, right? God planted the Garden of Eden. He took the world, this earth upon which we live, and he spoke it. He spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. And so it wasn't that this This planet was formless. It was void. And God created upon the planet so that it could sustain the life of humanity. Planted them in a garden. It was an environment of of perfection. It was a place of paradise. There were no tsunamis. There's no earthquakes. There's no um, hurricanes. There's no pollution. Everything is in perfect balance. Ezekiel, uh, referred to the prophet Ezekiel, referred to Eden as the garden of God, and therefore it became his realm in which his presence would dwell. This is so important. God's presence would dwell. So the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2 that God literally walked with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, right? So his presence was dwelling here on earth in this perfect environment. Notice what it says in Genesis 1:28. God blessed them And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and out of every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree has fruit in it, they will be for yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath and life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so and God saw that all that he made, it was very, very good. So notice every seed-bearing plant, every tree. This was the food for Adam and Eve. This was a vegan's paradise, right here. The mother of all salad bars, right here in the Garden of Eden, right? They're not eating meat. Uh, vegetarians, vegan, uh, all plant-based. They go, go, go vegan. So uh, the only restriction, the only restriction in this garden was that Adam and Eve could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is that? Because when God created Adam and Eve, He created them also in likeness of God Himself and the angelic beings who had been created long before humanity, and that is the freedom of will, the freedom of choice. You see, you can't love unless you give freedom. If somebody is controlling of you, you would say they're unloving, they're controlling me. But love demands the freedom to choose And so they had this one, even the rule that God placed around this tree was motivated by God's goodness and love. You want to write this down. It's not on your outline. God only puts fences around things that have the potential to hurt us. He didn't want them to experience what it's like on the other side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't want them to know what evil was like. God already knew what evil was like. He didn't want humanity to know what it was like. But Satan knew that he had an advantage over Adam and Eve. They had never experienced what he had experienced in his rebellion against God. He knew what evil was all about. He knew that he needed to get them on his side. And so uh, in this perfect environment, God comes and he communes with them every day, and he wants them to be with them and have a relationship In fact, that was the main purpose of the Garden of Eden, was to provide a place where God could have joyful, intimate, personal relationship with Adam and Eve. Now, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them, this is important, to be his representatives on earth, his representatives. Most, he gave to them. What did he give? How do we represent God? God? You represent God when God shares his dominion and his authority. That's what he gave to Adam and Eve you're going to rule over my creation. You're my representatives here. This is my domain. I'm the owner. You're the stewards of it. And so I'm giving you the authority and the ability to rule over everything that I have created that was handed over to them. So God made us to find meaning and dignity through work. God wired into our DNA the need to... co-create, to accomplish, to be productive. That's why people talk about making a difference in their life and finding their purpose and discovering their destiny. That's why retirement can be so hard for people because now all of a sudden you've lost your sense of purpose and meaning and identity in life. And now what are you going to do with yourself and, and so on and so forth. And so, so, watch this, so complete, God's original intention was for, for Eden to expand around the entire globe. As Adam and Eve procreated, had children, his intention was that that the Garden of Eden would encompass the entire globe. God had this perfect environment where God was dwelling and where Adam and Eve were following him and they were ruling over his creation. They were stewarding his creation. And so that was the heartbeat of God. And so complete was Adam's authority over earth, he... Not just God had the ability to give that authority away. How do I know that? Listen very carefully to how Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness temptation. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 4. Here's Satan speaking to Jesus. I will give you this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me. How did it get handed over to him? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, he handed, Adam handed the authority that God had given to him over planet earth over to Satan, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, Jesus, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Now, the part of this dominion being handed over to Satan was true, and Jesus knew it. That's why he didn't challenge it that three times in the Gospel of John alone, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. Now, so complete and final was God's decision to do things on earth through human beings that when Adam handed his authority and dominion over to Satan through rebelling against God, it took God bringing Jesus, the incarnation, God in the flesh, into the world in order to get the authority back that's what Jesus came to do. He came to die for the sins of humanity, but he also came to take back the authority and the dominion of this world that is rightfully God's. Now, don't miss this. This is a glimpse of the necessity of prayer. God chose from the time of creation to work on earth through humanity, not independent of humanity. Everything that God is doing in the Bible between Genesis 3 and Revelation 21, he does it through humanity, not independent of them. So when God wants to bring his will from heaven to earth and to provide the resources by which that comes, he does so when somebody is standing in the gap and they're praying for that, and that's what enables God to release it. And I'm going to prove that point uh, in just a few moments. But here's your, your fill in the blank is this. From the beginning, God chose to link his authority and activity on earth through humanity. So what happens in the garden? Adam and Eve, they eat of the forbidden fruit. Bible said, God said on the day you do that, you're going to die. Well, what died that day? Well, they died immediately in their spirit where God breathed the Spirit of God, the Ruha of God, into them. The Spirit vacated. Now they're spiritually dead, disconnected from God. They died progressively in their soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. They started experiencing things like fear and anxiety and shame and guilt they'd never experienced before. And they started having quarreling between Adam and Eve amongst themselves. And they started experiencing a lot of things in their soul. And ultimately, they died in their body. And so from the point of sin's entrance into the world, people began, watch this, people began to be guided by their impulses, not by the Spirit. It's what the Bible refers to in the New Testament as the flesh. I've never had a member of our church call me and say, hey, pastor, I'm a little worried about my kids. It's like... Um, it just seems to me like there's a sin delay in their lives. And do you got a program that kind of helped them with that? No, I never get that kind of phone call, right? We know our kids are like self-centered and, you know, it comes out when they're young, and as they get older, we become more ingrown. The world's about me. The universe is about me. The world revolves around me, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And by the time we hit our teenage years, we, I mean, it's like somebody took our brains out of our head and, and put somebody else's in there, right? So As parents, we're like, man, who stole my child and replaced it with an alien, all right? Why? Because that's just natural, because we are—we come into the world spiritually Dead, disconnected from God. We are driven by our impulses, which means our culture in our day and time means that if you have an impulse, if you have a drive, regardless of what what it is, you have the God-given right to exercise it. So our feelings get put in the driver's seat of our lives, and it's a very dangerous place for them to be. God never created you to be driven by your feelings. He created you to be driven by faith. He created you to be driven by the Holy Spirit. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, what's the first thing God did? He indwelt you with the Spirit of God to enable you to live a life you could not live on your own in order to what? Give back authority and dominion as we cooperate, as we are co-laborers with Christ in unfolding God's plan here and His will here on earth. So affected had sin upon the earth that everything was affected, right? Everything was affected, even the world in which they lived. So now you have things like hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, all these natural disasters. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 8. He says the world in which we live, is, it's like pains of childbirth. He's just groaning and waiting for God to come and, and, and to rescue it from its own collapse, And so Paul says that creation will continue to run down and deteriorate into decay. Yes, we should be good stewards of our planet, but all of our pollution controls and recycling efforts are not going to stop this spiraling downward of the planet because God has a plan for this planet. And the plan in the future is that God's going to destroy the present heavens and earth and recreate a new heavens and earth And where there is no more sin, there is no more suffering, there is no more disasters, there's none of that, it will be back in its original perfected state of being. Everything that sin destroyed, it will get restored. In fact, you read in the, book of Genesis, there was a river and a tree of life in the garden of Eden. And when you go to Revelation and look at the new Jerusalem, that will be the capital city of God's new kingdom here on earth, it says that there is the river of God and the tree of life. And the nations that eat of its leaves will be healed. Why was Adam and Eve banned from the the garden of Eden? so that they had no access to the tree of life. Otherwise, they were bit in a perpetual state of their fallenness through all of eternity. God had a plan, and so everything that was destroyed in, back in the beginning is now being recreated. And so here's the future. The future is this. When you read in the Old Testament, it talks about all kinds of prophets and laws and all that stuff. But every bit of it pointed to what? To the future Messiah who would come. Jesus, God in the flesh, in order to die for the sins of humanity so that God could begin restoring what sin had destroyed, starting with his pinnacle of his creation, which is you and I. Now watch this. When Jesus died on the cross, out of his side came blood and water, Blood and water is what flows at a birth, when a woman's giving birth to a child. The first Adam, the Bible says, God birthed out of his side his wife, his bride. The second Adam, Jesus, when he died on the cross and the sword was thrust, it was prophetic because now blood and water came out of that wounded side and Jesus gave birth to his bride, the church. Jesus wanted to reproduce himself in us. That's why he said, greater works will you do than I have done. Not because the works we're doing are greater, it's because there's so many of us, right? We're spread all over the world. Jesus was confined to one place, one time, in one moment, and now Jesus is reproducing himself through his bride, the church, so that the greatness, of that we, we may take the victory of Christ on the cross and we may... We may bring that victory into the world in which we live, and so we are partners with Christ, and we are expressing the victory through Christ here on earth. Now, this is what the Bible calls as the church age. At the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came upon the believers there and dwelt them, equipped them to do what they could not do on their own, and so from now until Jesus comes back, known as the rapture, pulling the church out of the world— We are the bride of Christ. It's the age of the church. That age comes to an end with the rapture when Jesus pulls the church out of the world, which is next event on God's prophetic calendar, which begins a seven-year process of tribulation here on earth. At the end of that seven years, Jesus comes back with the church, and he establishes his millennial kingdom on earth. For a thousand years, he will rule and reign out of Jerusalem, and we will be there with him. At the end of that thousand years, There is what is called the great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers, and then the Bible says God destroys the present heavens and earth, and then he recreates, and the new Jerusalem comes from heaven, third heaven, down to earth, becomes the capital city of God's kingdom. Here's what I want you to see, is that, listen, heaven... Heaven for eternity for us is not like some galaxy way out there somewhere. You're going to be living for eternity right here on planet Earth where God has restored everything that sin has destroyed. So when you, when you die, heaven is not about, you know, picturing somebody floating around in heaven on clouds playing harps and, and flowing ropes. That's not God's grand scheme for us. That's Hollywood, but it's not biblical. God has... I don't know anything about, you know, harps. Uh, I do know a lot about living here on earth. And so God, you know, he, he, he gave us the, the desire, the yearning of, of things of art and music and beauty and relationships, and all of those things will be encompassed in this new heaven and new earth and this time that we're going to spend with God. How many of you thought about yourself, you know what, living for eternity is like, oh man, it's going to be so stinking boring, worship service, we're just going to sing all the time, we're just going to play harps, Not it at all. Not even close. Now why do I paint that backdrop to get you to the meantime? That's in the future. Revelation 21 verses 1 through5 talks about the new heaven and the new earth. There's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more suffering. God is dwelling places here on earth. God is dwelling with us 24/7 for all of eternity. That's what happens in the future. We know what happens in the past. Here's the meantime. What does that have to do with us in prayer? Everything. You and I are called in the Bible as ambassadors. Means you represent a foreign country. What country do you represent? The kingdom of God. When you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you became a kingdom citizen. Colossians 1.13 says, God transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. You are a kingdom citizen. You are heir to the throne of Christ. In fact, the Bible says in the verb tenses, you are already seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And therefore, as an ambassador, I'm a representative of him here on earth. So regardless of your vocation." Whether you are a father, mother, teacher, lawyer, carpenter, I don't care what your vocation is, you want to show what Jesus would look like to the world had he been a teacher, a carpenter, or uh, whatever it is your vocation. Even if you were a stay at home mom, it doesn't matter. You are Jesus to your children, you're the closest thing they're going to see of Jesus through a human being. That's our calling. God has returned to the church his authority and dominion to accomplish his will and purposes here on earth and the church only. God never called us to operate independent. And so here's my fill in the blank. God is in need of intercessors to stand in the gap between God's will in heaven and releasing God's resources here on earth. We talked last week about standing in the gap. What's the gap? The gap is this. In the beginning, it was all perfect. God was here on earth. He was was dwelling with Adam and Eve. Sin entered into the picture. Now, all of a sudden, there's a gap. God had to remove himself. And so now, yes, we think about God's throne. It's out there somewhere. Don't know where. It's going to eventually, in the future, come back down to earth. But right now, it's out there somewhere. So we have a gap. We have a gap between God's will and resources coming down upon earth. And so we, God is looking for people to stand in the gap and to pray and to intercede, asking God to, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sin creates the gap and the resources of heaven down to planet earth where the needs are at. And so here's what Jesus said of the church. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, who do people say to them? Well, they say there's Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus said, well, good answer. God has shown you that. And he says, Peter, upon your confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Watch this. And he says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth has been bound, whatever you loose on earth has been loosened. And so why did Jesus give the keys of the kingdom to Peter, to the church? Because... Whatever God has bound has been bound, right? So whatever he wants to loose, he's going to loose. And the way that he looses that which has been bound is through prayer. The work of the Spirit follows the prayers of his people. So James came along and said this, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. How am I righteous? I'm righteous through Christ. You're righteous through Christ. When you got saved, God took the righteousness of Jesus, and he clothed you in that righteousness and then James, given an example, he said, here's Elijah, a prophet of God, and God said to Elijah, it has not been raining for seven years. I'm, I'm, a, I'm about to bring rain upon the earth. I want you to intercede. I want you to stand in the gap. I want you to pray for it, and I want you to ask it. Why would God do that? Why would that be necessary? Why, why would he need someone to stand in the gap to exercise in order to create change here on earth? And so, you know, it's been... Several years of drought, whose idea was it to send the rain? God's or Elijah's? God's. Who wanted to do it? God did. In what timing? Right now. And so here's God. It's His will, His desire to bring rain from heaven down to earth because rain has been bound up for several years of drought, three years of drought. He's going to unbind it bring it to earth, planet earth. But remember, God has chosen not to act independent from humanity, but he's chosen to act in cooperation with humanity, co labors with Christ to bring God's resources and will from heaven down to earth. And he says, okay, Elijah, it's time to start praying. God says it, Elijah prays it, and God performs it. God loosed in heaven, Elijah's prayer loosed it on earth. What makes this partnership with God possible. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you understand how important the work is with Jesus Christ. For you to stand in the gap, God has given you authority and dominion to do that. And so um, Hebrews chapter 4 says to us, listen, you want to know how you can come into the throne room of God now? In the Old Testament, the only person who went into the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, was the high priest once a year, day of atonement. He went in fear and trembling that if he did anything wrong, God would strike him dead. They put a rope around his leg. So if he did do anything wrong and fell dead, they had to pull him out because nobody could go in there without dying. Now the Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, because we have this high priest, Jesus Christ as a part of our life, that we come into God's throne room with confidence in knowing that we're going to find grace and mercy in our time of need. I just want to kind of wrap this up because I'm out of time, Uh, just kind of putting it to you this way. What God wants to do in your life when you're praying is that God wants to give you heavenly downloads. You've heard me talk about this many times, is that as you're worshiping the Father and you're praying, and you're praying Scripture back to God and you're listening to Him and God's giving you the Holy Spirit and the capacity to hear the voice of your Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit drops downloads because He knows you have needs in your life, right? You have provisions you need, you have temptations in your life, you have hurts and woundedness that God wants to heal and take care of and God wants to utilize your life for His kingdom purposes and so... Downloads are all about um, God's empowerment, God's refreshing. It consists of like solutions and strategies and a divine word from God into your life so that you can leverage what God is saying to you and exercise it as a kingdom citizen. So when we pray, uh, rather than praying, let's say somebody comes to me, they have a, they have a physical problem. And re- here, here's the typical person. Here's how I used to pray. All right, I'm glad to pray for you. Uh, You know, I I pray over them. And here's here's the Southern Baptist slogan. Lord, heal this person if it be your will. Why do we put that tagline on? Well, if God doesn't heal them, he's off the hook. It wasn't his will. I'm off the hook because I don't look bad. Looks like, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not putting, I don't have to put my faith on the line for sure, because whether God heals them or not, whichever way it goes, it's on God. Not on me. What if I see myself in a whole different light? Rather than a poverty mentality, that I'm powerless, that, um, you know. When we live with a poverty mentality as a follower of Christ, you know, it's all about I'm powerless, I'm a victim of my circumstances, I have no control over anything, I can't do anything about it. And so, you know, for us, the lottery ticket is the rapture of the church. God, just, you know, help me muddle through life and get me out of here as quick as you can. That's not the kind of life God called you to live. He called you to live as a son or daughter of the living King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are a prince, you are a princess, you are a child of God. Is it God's will to heal? I assume it's always God's will to heal unless he says otherwise. So I lay hands on people. I pray over people. Do people, everybody I pray for physical healing get healed? No. But here's what I've noticed, and I've shared this many times. The more people I pray for, the more people I see getting healed as opposed to not praying for anyone, and not seeing anybody get healed. The same way as sharing your faith. Does everybody I share my faith with, with about the Lord Jesus Christ, get saved? Absolutely not. But I've discovered that the more people I share it with, the more people you see get saved, as opposed to not sharing it with anybody, and then nobody gets saved. So here's, here's the mindset I want us to have as we we, cl- we close this, is that when we come in agreement with God in prayer, we give his presence and power and promises permission to dominate our lives so that when the Satan comes against you as a prayer warrior, as an intercessor, as a standing-in-the-gap person... When he comes against you and says, you know what, uh, Greg, you're not worthy to enter into God's presence. You know what you did. You remember what you thought. You remember what you said last week. You're not worthy to stand in this presence. You're, you're not strong enough to stand against me. You're not strong enough for this storm. You're, you're going to collapse in the midst of it. You're going to make a fool of yourself. Why don't you just back up and back off? And I would say to us, if we want to come with a poverty mentality, we would say, yes, Satan, you're right. I, I, I'm powerless. I can't do anything. I'm void, I mean, I'll just kind of muddle through this the best I can, or I can choose to come as a child of the king, and I can say to Satan something like, you know what Satan, I am a child of God, I am a man or woman of faith, I am indwelt by the spirit of God, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places, I am an ambassador of the kingdom of God, I'm a carrier of the keys of the kingdom, I've been given authority to bind and to loosen here on earth, I am a warrior of Jesus Christ, I am the storm. This was so shown to me while we were on vacation. My little grandson's here, Cooper. He's almost three years old. We're going through Boone North Carolina, and they have a fire station there. It's kind of like right in the city, two fire trucks. These guys were outside. The firefighters were outside. They looked like they were 12 years old. Anyway, they're out there talking, and so my daughter, my other daughter and son-in-law were with us also, and they have a little girl named Ava who's three, and Who's one? So, anyways, my daughter decided, you know, she's going to get the firefighters. They, they wanted to see the fire truck. So, we stand Cooper up on the front of one, we stand Ava up there, and he's kind of shy and bashful, especially around strangers. And so, the firefighters come over and start talking. And, and one of them looks at Ava and says, Hey, would you like to sit up in the driver's seat? And she looked at him with like all the sincerity in the world. And she says, No, I can't drive. Why would you put me up there? And so, so one of the firefighters, he, he went in the back of the fire station. We he came out of here with some plastic fire hats, you know, like, like they're going to be honor firefighters, you know. And so he puts one on Ava, and he puts one on Cooper, and we get a picture of him and everything. Now, Cooper, again, he's usually like strange and, you know, just shy against strangers, and he was a little cranky that day anyways. He put that fire hat on. We took him off that fire truck, and he just started strutting his stuff right down the street, like, I'm a firefighter bonafide firefighter I'm gonna. you got a fire I'm going to come and fight that fire that is exactly how we ought to be walking through life as children of the king of god you have the power of god flowing in you and through you as a prayer warrior you have been given a of dominion and authority to release the very resources of God from heaven to earth as you align yourself with the will of God and as God displays his will to you. And one of the reasons why God gives us prayer burdens about certain things and about his will and his actions is because he's looking for somebody to stand in the gap who will stand in faith and pray it down and watch God display it on planet earth. That's the necessity of prayer. Let's pray together.